actually working through Judges chapter 6 and 7 today, and I believe to get us started, I'm simply going to read Judges chapter 6 and verse 6, and we'll start there. If you have your Bibles and you have found that, or even if you haven't, would you please stand one last time? I know you've been standing as we've been singing, but in the honor of the reading of the Word of God, we'll read one verse, Judges chapter 6, verse 6. The Word of God says this, So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Let us pray. Father, this morning, first of all, thank You, God, for Your sweet presence here. Thank You, God, that we can come together and worship You. And Father, You are certainly worthy of worship. God, when we think of all that You've done, Lord, and we think of how much You've blessed us, and God, all that You've done for us, and God, how You saved us, and Lord, You've You've met us every step of the way. This morning, our hearts are truly overwhelmed when we think of the goodness of our God. Lord, I pray now that You'd anoint me to preach in the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost with the authority of heaven and the unction of heaven behind me. God, I pray if there be anybody here this morning that's not saved, that today would be the day that they would turn from their sins and follow You. God, I pray that this morning You'd stir up, God, the hearts of Your people, and God, that fear would flee, and God, that we would be reminded that we are who You say that we are. Lord, have Your way this morning. Have Your way, God. Ultimately, that's the only thing we need is Your way. It's You that we need. And God, this morning, right now, we ask for that. Have Your way. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Israel was greatly impoverished. This is a statement that should have never been pinned down in the Bible, but it was. And quite frankly, it was pinned down several many different ways in different times and in different wording that the people of God were impoverished. It is a sad and unacceptable state when God's people are impoverished and weak and being triumphed over by the enemy. But that was the case in the text. Judges chapter 6 and chapter 7 is the story of Gideon. Most probably famous for Gideon laying down the fleece and asking God to make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And then asking God again to make the fleece dry and the ground wet. But this morning, I want to look through these two chapters with you. Let us backtrack just a few verses to verse 2. The hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves dens, the caves and the strongholds which were in the mountains. We see that the destruction has come upon God's people and now they're living in caves. Can I tell you this morning that fear will cause you to run and hide in a cave? It'll cause you to leave the land that God told you to possess, to leave the place that God told you to live, to leave your authority and your strength and all that God had given you behind. And fear will cause you to flee to the cave where you think there is safety there. But that is exactly where the enemy of God's people wants God's people to be, is in a cave. And there have been many of untold millions of those who call themselves 
by the name of God that have found themselves hiding their life away in a cave, away from the battle lines, away from where God had originally told them to be, away from the place of victory, and in a cold, damp, and lonely, dark cave. I'm not going to preach this morning on caves, but I'll say this briefly about a cave. Caves are dangerous. The further that you go into a cave, the more dangerous it becomes. The the more dangerous the air is to breathe and the darker and darker that it gets. The longer that you stay in a cave, your eyes begin to refocus and you don't begin to realize how dark it is that the place you're actually in has become. You know, the safest place in a cave is as close to the exit as possible where you can get fresh air and sunlight. God's people are in caves, hiding from the enemy. It is a terrible place to be. Can I say this morning, brothers and sisters, we have nothing to fear. Greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. And our God does not fear. And time and time and time again, Jesus said to His disciples, fear not. But we become fearful. And fear paralyzes us. It blinds us. It it leaves us unable to move. It leaves us unable to think. And fear causes us to run back into the cave where we feel safe and we feel like we're in a position that we cannot be attacked. But listen to the preacher this morning. That's exactly where the devil wants us to be is in a position where we feel like we cannot be attacked. We must learn to stand strong on the Word of God. We are who God says we are. My Father is a King. He is not only a King, but He is the King of heaven and earth. And I have nothing to fear. And I will not back down from that. And I will not live my life in a cave afraid of what might happen to me when I stand for who God says I am. But this is exactly where the people were. In the next verses, it tells us that the Midianites would come and that they would utterly destroy their crops and their livestock. It says that when the Midianites would come to do this, that they looked like locusts in the field. In other words, they were were everywhere. Can I say there's no shortage of enemies of the people of God? If you're a Christian this morning, there is no shortage of enemies of you. You might not even know who all your enemies are. But trust me this morning, they're like locusts. They're everywhere. Getting ahead of myself. But we don't war against flesh and blood. We war against principalities and powers, the rulers of darkness. But it says that they came and that the Midianites, they were like locusts and they destroyed everything. As I was reading that, I thought to myself, how fitting a picture of the enemy. He doesn't even want what we have. He doesn't intend to use it. He doesn't intend to take it from us and use it for another purpose. He just wants to destroy it. He wants to ruin our lives. And then He wants to leave us, as I read in verse 6, impoverished. You know what being impoverished does? It means that there is no food. It is like a place of famine. And when you're impoverished, you're weak. 
When you're impoverished, you have no will to, to stand in your strength and to fight for what is yours and to do what is right and to say, I will take my ground and I will stand it because God has given it to me and I will not go anywhere. No, when you are impoverished and when you are weak and when you are famished, it is in that place that the will to fight leaves and we decide that we'll settle for whatever it will take to just get out of the fight and just to get out of the war and just to get out of the hardship and to get out of the attack, and we resort to a cave. But this morning, listen to this preacher. God's people, we cannot live in the cave. We cannot live in the cave. We hold the words of eternal life. I preached this last week about some of the landmarks that we need to take hold of. We hold the words of life. There is not another entity on the face of earth except the body of Christ, which is the living church, which has the message of hope to a lost and dying world. We cannot resort to the cave. But this is exactly what the enemy wants to do in your life. He wants to discourage you. The prophet Jeremiah was discouraged. I'll be preaching that at the Sumner County Kent meeting. He was discouraged. And he said this. He said, I will not speak a word anymore concerning his name. Not even a word. I won't mention God. I won't mention His name. I won't say anything about Him. That was what the prophet Jeremiah said. He was so discouraged in his heart. And I tell you this morning, that's what God wants to do to us. It's what He wants to do to this preacher. And he, it's what He wants to do to every one of you here this morning that are truly born again by the power of God. The devil wants to cause you to be discouraged. The enemy wants you to zip it. Just quit. It's easier to live in a cave. Can I say this? A silent preacher is no better than a dead preacher. We might as well die if we're just going to be silent. And the same is true of the Christian. We have a mission, folks. In our text this morning, we see an entire group of people who were scared, paralyzed by fear, who had resorted to leaving the ground that God had given them and living their lives in caves. And then we see this in verse 12. Speaking of Gideon, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Well, that is a question that so many ask. If God is with us, then why indeed do we go through all that we go through? Why has all of this happened and the Lord turned to him in verse 14 and said, Go in this mind of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And so Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. 
One of the things that's always fascinated me about the Word of God is that even when a nation was in peril, even when the entire group was hiding in caves, God was simply looking for a singular one, one person, one man, one woman who would listen to His voice and believe what He had to say and stand on it and say, God, if You say go, then I will go. And we see that here in our text. God comes to Gideon. He says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Gideon says, but I am the the weakest in my family, and our clan is the smallest of all the clans. This morning, can I say this? Listen to me. God saw something in Gideon that Gideon did not see in himself. God saw something in this man that nobody else was able to see. Oh, this is how God is with us. Gideon was threshing his wheat in the wine press so, so that the Midianites, when they came, they would not find it and take it from him so that they would still have something to eat. And even Gideon himself found himself fearful of the enemy. But God comes to him where he is and says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Oh, God, help us this morning to hear who you say we are and not who the rest of the world says we are. Let us hear who you say we are and not what we think of ourselves. For we are indeed what God has said. And when God has declared a thing, it will always come to pass. He said, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said of himself, I can't do this, I'm the weakest. Our clan is not even great. Our clan is the smallest clan there is. And of all my brothers, I'm the weakest. And I say God picks the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And let me say this. It takes a spiritual eye to see God's will and God's call on the life of people. You cannot see it without the help of the Spirit. In the flesh, all that we see is faults and failures. And that good which we do see is nothing more than prideful human accomplishments. If you were to look, and if we were to examine this morning all the people that God used throughout the Bible, all the way from Abraham and Moses and David and Saul and and, and Gideon and on and on and the disciples, what we would see is that none of us would have picked them to be used as great men of God, but each and every one of us would have still guilty with the rest of the world and say, these men have no business leading the people of God. Because it takes a spiritual eye to see God's will and God's work in a person's life. When I was at my worst and I lay there, nearly overdosed on drugs, needle tracks in my arms, no purpose for life, a criminal with no hope, no plan to go anywhere else. Everybody looked at me and said, He's a failure who will amount to nothing. And there came a day in my life when I too looked at me and said, You're a failure that will never amount to nothing. But one day God came and stood by my bed in that state and said, Get up out of that state, you mighty man of valor. I've got a plan for your life and it is time to see you the way I see you. Now let me ask you this morning, what does God see in you that you 
don't see in yourself? What are you, like Gideon, arguing with God about? I can't do that. I can't do that. God works in ways outside of our way of thinking. As we see, God routes an entire army with 300 men that never lift a sword. It's not about who's the strongest. It's not about who's the fastest. It's not about who's the smartest. It's about who's willing to take God at His word and simply say, yes. Yes. God, I don't understand it. I don't know why you'd call me to such a thing. God, I don't know why you'd call me to such a work. God, I don't know why you'd ask me to do this thing and it doesn't seem like I could do it. It doesn't seem like I'm capable. But Lord, with You, all things are possible. We need to be people who speak words of encouragement. We need to be people who are builders up and not tearers down. I was thinking about this sermon. Gideon himself questioned his own life. There are three, actually, yes, three, four. Let me get these out and we'll count them together. There are three main people that will come against you. Number one, the devil. He'll come against you and cause you to question everything there is. He came to Jesus Christ Himself and looked the Son of God in His own eyes and said these words, if you're the Son of God. I question that. If. In other words, you might not be. And if the devil would come to the Son of God Himself and stare Him down in the eyes and question His very identity, He'll do it to you and I too. If you're a child of God, if you really love God, we've got to learn to stare Him back in the eyes and say, I'm exactly who God says I am. There's no if about it. I am God's son. I am God's daughter. My father is a king. Don't question who I am. Not only though will the devil come against us, the world will come against us too. Mocking our calling. Mocking our identity. Questioning us. Gideon came against himself in this situation and began to question his own self. And you'll find that even people within the church will question who you are. Moses and Aaron dealt with this. The leaders gathered against them and said, who are you to lead us? And I tell you this morning, you've got to know what God has called you to do. You've got to know. You've got to know who God says you are. And refuse to listen to all the other voices because there is no shortage of them. Oh, and we must learn and plead with God to see with a spiritual eye the way that God sees people. To see God's work in a person's life and not simply see their failures in the flesh. I'm thankful God saw that in my life. And I'm thankful there were some others that saw it as well. That when the rest of the world said, get that boy out of the pulpit, there were a few that said, no, God's got a call on His life. This morning, what does God see in you that you're questioning? 
What does God see in you? And what does God want to do in your life? That you've allowed your failures and you've allowed your mistakes to cause you to question your very own self. You've got to know what God's called you to do. God comes to Gideon and says, Gideon, I don't care what everybody else says. You are a mighty man of valor. And I say this morning, church of the living God, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Because God Himself is said, and that if our God is for us, whom then shall we fear? We are the people of the living God. And we ought not spend our life on defense, living in caves, afraid of the enemy. But we need to take a hold of what God's called us to take a hold of and stand strong for what God's told us to stand for. So God comes to Gideon. He says, you're a mighty man of valor, Gideon. And I've got a plan for your life. And you will surely defeat the Midianites. In verse 25 of chapter 6, it came to pass that same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull and the second bull of seven years old and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that it is beside it. The first thing that we've got to do in our life, if we're going to regrain ground that the enemy has taken from us, is tear down the idols to false gods. Tear down the things in our life that we have begun to worship instead of worshiping the one true God. It might be things, it might be possession, it might be pleasure, it might be this thing or that thing. But whatever it is, the first step to learning to live in victory and take back that which God told us to take back is to tear down the altars of the Baals, to tear down the things in our life that take our time away from God. They have to be cut off at the very roots. And if they're not you will get no further. I think the, the, the probably the number one thing that diverts the church from ever really entering into the real battlefield is we won't tear down the altars of Baal, at least in this country. We are absolutely arrested by pleasure and stuff and things. And we spend most of our life and most of our thought process concerning how we can accumulate more things that eventually are going to burn up with a fervent heat anyhow. If you want to know what you worship, you look at where you spend your money. If you want to look at how you worship, take your tax return at the end of the year, Take a look at how much went everywhere. What went to tithe? What went to missions? What went to helping people? How much went to vacation? What went to buying new stuff and new things? How much went to clothes? And you'll find what you worship. You'll find where your heart is. You want the Scripture reference for it? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the Word of God. God tells us you can find out where your heart is. Just look at where you spend your money. We've got to know to tear down the false altars. It's the first thing that God told Gideon to do. So Gideon does this thing. He tears down the altar. 
As you read on in chapter 6, the, the men wake up in the morning and they say, Who tore down this altar? He must die, for he has destroyed the altar of Baal. And some who knew it was Gideon said out loud, It is Gideon. He's the one who is at this business. He's the one who has torn down this altar. Thank God for men that are willing to stand against the rest of the crowd and the rest of the men their day and say, I will do what is right and I will do what is true. Let come what may. But Gideon's father spoke up on Gideon's behalf. And he made this statement. He said, let Baal stand up for himself. It's not my altar he tore down. It's the altar of Baal. Let Baal speak up for himself. And Gideon gets a new name. Look with me at verse 32 of chapter 6. Therefore on that day he called him Jeroboam, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. That word Jeroboam, it means at, basically it means at war with Baal. That Baal has something to do and something to say. Towards Gideon. I hope that can be my name too. One of my main ambitions in life is to be on the devil's most wanted list. I know that sounds funny, but before I stand, as I stand here before you and before God, two and a half years, I prayed that prayer. God, I want to live my life on His most wanted list. I pray that in this city there's not a single person the devil wants destroyed more than me. That would mean that we're at war with him. That he has a reason to fight. That I'm doing something of value for the kingdom of God and something destructive to the kingdom of the wicked one. What a name to have. Jeroboam. Do you realize we're at a spiritual war? We've become so callous and dead and desensitized to what this is really going on. The church has become a social club. A place to come and feel good and, and, and have the preacher pat you on the back and you leave happier than you did the day before. And if this could just continue on, we'll be the happiest people you've ever seen in 10 or 15 years. And we'll just keep going on. And, and, and meanwhile, the world's dying around us and somehow we, we, we've lost focus of the fact we're in a war. That's what the, that's the term the Bible uses. War. We're at war. Now listen to me. Are you? What is this to you? What is Crossway Church to you? A little slice of your life? A little place to come on your Sunday morning? Hear a sermon? Sing some songs? And tell people throughout the week how much you love your church. Or it is your or is it your body that you are a member of? That you play a role actively in concerning the fight that God has called us into. There is a war. And as we see the real Enemy is Baal, Satan himself, the devil. We don't war against each other. We don't war against sinners, the unsaved, unbelievers. 
We are warring for them. And as we see in our text symbolically, we're warring over the same ground. It's not that the enemy has his territory and we have our territory and there's a line in the sand. He wants our territory. It is souls that we are fighting for and those same souls that Jesus gave His blood for that they might be lost of their sins and redeemed and born again. Every soul that He did that for, the devil wants too. We're fighting over the same ground. There is a fight. The souls of your family. The souls of your friends. Some of you this very morning, your soul is currently in this state damned. And if this were the last sermon you ever heard, and today was the day you stood before God, forever you would be cast into that lake of fire without a second chance, and you'd spend the rest of eternity with your conscience eating at you, thinking, why did I reject the grace of God? There's a war. And as the preacher preaches this morning, and your soul is stirred within you, and you realize you need a Savior, and you know you should repent of your sins, there's a devil on your back saying, oh, don't worry about it. This isn't really God. Just leave. Everything will be okay. You'll deal with this next week. Leave and think about it some more before you make a just rash decision to give your heart to God. And there's a war that's taking place. I'm talking to you this morning about spiritual things. Spiritual things. It is amazing how unspiritual the church has become. It is. The average sermon is nothing more than a five-piece nugget that someone took off the shelf and has regurgitated to their people, and there's nothing spiritual about it at all. I'm talking to you about spiritual things this morning. There's a spiritual war. So God says to Gideon, now that you've torn down the altar, now that you've embraced who you are, a mighty man of valor, it's time to war. And we see in our text, I believe we're still in Judges chapter 6, verse 33, then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east gathered together. The day has come that God had told Gideon of. And now was the time of God's Word being fulfilled. There comes a time when your calling comes to place. It comes to life. And all the people will gather against you. You see, hell will always challenge you on what God wants you to be. And it will never stop. Finally, they go to war. But they're getting ready for war. Excuse me, in chapter 7. All the people gathered together. And in verse 3, God said this, Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. 32 Thousands showed up for war. God said this, whoever's afraid, let him go home. And of 32,000, 22,000 went home. That's amazing to me. Fear will paralyze you. 
It will stop you dead in your tracks. But understand God's way of dealing with it was, get it out of here. It'd be better to go to war with 10,000 that were fearless than with 32,000 knowing that two-thirds of them were fearful. Why? Very important principle I'm about to tell you. Fear breeds fear. One of the most unhealthy things you can do in your life is spend it around people who are always fearful, always talking negative, always seeing the wrong side of everything, chirping it in your little ear, telling you why things aren't so good, telling you why you ought to be fearful, telling you why indeed things aren't very good and we ought to be scared and something bad is going to happen. You listen to that long enough and you let that filth and that trash get in your mind. You'll begin to forget the truth of God's Word that greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world, that we have nothing to fear because God is on our side and God's way of dealing with it was get it out. Don't spend your life around people that are chirping the wrong thing. Negative, fearful all the time. It will impact you. You'll begin to meditate on it. You'll begin to think about it. The war that we're at is not for the weak of heart. You've got to be fearless. It's not always going to be easy. It's a war of faith is what it is. The amazing thing is that actually, as we're going to see today, they never had to lift a sword. Now, had they known the plan ahead of time, and had Gideon said to the 32,000, guess what, folks? Here's how it's going to end. There's not actually going to be a fight. We're not actually going to have to lift a sword. All we're going to do is raise some fire and make some racket and praise God. And God's going to turn the enemy in on themselves and they're going to kill themselves. There would have been a dance and shout and party and all 32,000 all of a sudden would have become fearless. But God says, I want to work with people who believe me no matter what. People who will stand on what is true because I have proclaimed it and because they trust me, not because they know the outcome of every single thing. He wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. This morning, child of God, listen to this preacher. If you've got fear in your life, get it out. It's got to be dispelled. If you've got people in your life constantly chirping fear into it, get them out. God has a plan for your life. Your days are numbered. Life is but a vapor. And you're going to stand before Him and give an account one day for what you did with your life. And you don't want to stand before God and be blamed for, for ruining your life and spending most of it doing nothing for Him because you are paralyzed by fear. Get it out. And do what God's called you to do. So the 22,000 leave and there's 10,000 there. and God says there's still too many. And he says, Gideon, the reason that there's still too many is because indeed they will, uh, if, they, if you guys win and, and this thing goes on, then everybody will begin to take credit for it themselves. And God takes them down to about 300. 300 men to fight over 100,000. There was 135,000. You can find that in Judges 8.10. There was 135,000 warriors of the Midianites and all those that had camped together. 
there was 300 that God used to surround him. I'm telling you, when you get a hold of what I'm preaching this morning, you will realize we have nothing to fear. Every demon, every devil, every wicked thing that could raise its head up against our God could all come together unified and stand before Him. And one word out of His mouth would cause every one of them to fall on their knees trembling. Our God is the Almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And He is on our side. We have nothing to fear. 300 versus 135,000 men. I want to show you one thing. God knew that Gideon was still afraid. Look with me at verses at 7 and verse 10. But if you are afraid, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. The camp was the camp of the Midianites. And you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down to Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. God wanted Gideon to hear what the enemy was saying about Gideon. You see, what the enemy will say to your face is often a lot different than what he's saying behind your back. The real enemy. The devil. You see, the devil knows he's defeated. The devil knows the weapons of our warfare are stronger than him. The devil knows that if God is for us, he cannot be against us. But to our face, he'll tell us a different story. To our face, he'll try to get us to cower down in fear and to act upon fear rather than faith. But God said, Gideon, I want you to go down. I want you to see something. If you are afraid, go down with Pura. Verse 11, then he went down with Pura. We see here that Gideon still had a little bit of fear in his heart that God wanted to dispel. I can't help but believe that many of the great mighty men of God that we read about who did absolute, absolutely heroic things at times stood there with fear in their hearts yet, but courage to push through by faith in God. And Gideon goes down. And I want you to listen to what the enemy says in verse 13. When Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. And to my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned. And the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. You see, Gideon heard that the enemy was having nightmares about Gideon. I feel God all over me right now. Oh, that the enemy would have nightmares about us. 
nightmares about every every single service that we have, every song that we sing, every testimony that somebody gives out there during the week, every word that we share, all that He would see that we are a people that are about the work of Almighty God. And when Gideon heard, he worshipped. All that we would worship God when we realize all that He's given to us. I've got to close quickly this morning. I want to say this. And I'll be done. Last point I have this morning. As you read on, that God wrought this amazing victory. And the enemy turns on itself and many of them slay themselves and the rest, they end up running in fear. And Gideon and his 300 men, they travel and, and, and track down the kings that had come against them and destroy them utterly. And God's people are restored. And for 40 years, God's people live in peace. Why? And here's the final point I want to make this morning. Because one man was willing to believe he was who God said he was and to do what God told him to do and to refuse to listen to the voice of the enemy but to listen to the voice of truth. One. And here's the application. You can be that one person in your life. You can be that one person in your family. Maybe your family is going through the storm of a lifetime. You can be that Gideon. Mighty man of valor. Mighty woman of valor. Whatever the situation is in your life, know that God can work through you in a mighty way greater than what you ever could have expected. But you've got to believe you are who God said you are. God has always accomplished, accomplished the most amazing things through the, most, and through the least likely amongst us. This morning, can I say that Jesus Himself did the same thing. Gideon was a type of Jesus. Nobody would have picked Him to lead this great army to destroy the armies of the enemy. Nobody would have picked this man Gideon. It's the same was true of Jesus. Jesus lived his life in 30 years of obscurity. He was a son of a carpenter's son. And nobody would have picked him to be the one who would have set humanity free and who would have paid for all the sins of mankind, who was this the, the, the hero of God, who was God's chosen Son, the Messiah, the Redeemer of the world, the Savior of mankind. Jesus was so humble and so meek that everybody around Him confused. How can this be the one to save us? And He hung there on a cross. And He bled. And He died. And He breathed His last breath. And His heart beat its last beat. And everybody said, how can this man hanging on the cross, beaten beyond recognition, His back ripped off of Him, how can this man be the Savior of the world? But the very act that they pointed to, to question who He was, was the very act that proved indeed He was the Savior of the world. And three days later, He rose from a borrowed tomb and came out triumphantly proclaiming, I am the risen Savior of the world. And there's no Savior but Him. This morning, God can meet your need. As they bring a song, 
sinner, you need to be saved. God commands men. Acts chapter 17. God commands men to be saved. Commands you to be saved. He's not asking you. He is commanding you, repent of your sins and follow Jesus Christ. If you are lost this morning, you need to come. And you need to ask God to forgive you of your sins. You need to acknowledge to Him that you are guilty before Him. That you are a sinner that is doomed to an eternity of hopelessness unless He saves you. And you need to cry out to Him and He will meet you right where you're at. And then this morning, I want to speak to the child of God. Fear will grip you and paralyze you and stop you in your tracks. There are so many voices trying to tell you, you can't. The devil will look you in the eyes and say, if you. The world will question. People in your life will question, and sometimes even people in the church will question, and sometimes you will even question. But you have to believe the voice of truth. You are who God says you are. This morning, maybe there's somebody that's been afraid lately. You've allowed fear to keep you from progressing in the direction you know God called you to go. This morning, come to God and say, God, no more. I'm not going to live my life here. Whatever it is God's speaking to your heart, I'm going to encourage you and challenge you. Come this morning and kneel at an old-fashioned altar. And spend some time with God talking to God about it. If you need to be saved, I want to encourage you to come and be saved. Father, I pray right now that you'd move all across this room. Oh, God, we are who you say we are. Let us never question one another and let us never question ourselves. Let us not be guilty of being about the devil's business himself, that liar, the author of confusion. God, let those words not come out of our mouth. Have mercy on me, oh God. According to your steadfast love. Sin has raised its head once again And I did not stand In the power that you've given Created me a clean heart, O oh God And renew a right spirit
Oh, 